0: I invite you to open in the scriptures with me to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. I actually saw some surprised looks on some faces when I said that. Go ahead and turn there, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, and also hold a place in Genesis chapter 6, because we're going to go right back there in just a moment. But Hebrews really sets the stage for what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, we arrive today at a very familiar story—one that we enjoy hearing about and, and retelling over and over again. It might have been the first Bible story you ever heard, right along the side—the the, the side of like, I don't know, David and Goliath, Daniel in the Lion's Den, all those kind of things. But this is probably one of the most recognizable stories in the Bible, even if you have not spent any time around church life or have not listened to to any scripture reading really, you probably know a little bit about this story. It's a story of Noah, the great flood, the ark, and God's sparing this one family. And you probably know a little bit about this already. But this morning, as we look at this familiar story, we're going to do what we typically do when we look at familiar stories. You guys remember looking at Jonah and his story and looking at it through maybe a new lens, looking at it through the perspective of how all of this points to Jesus. We're going to do the same exact thing this morning, looking at this story, looking at this story through a new perspective, perhaps a a, a biblical perspective, and looking at it through the lens of how does all of this point towards Jesus? jesus hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 i invite you to stand with me and honor the reading of god's word it'll be on the screen behind me as well if you haven't found it by faith noah after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear he built an ark to deliver his family by faith He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will bless the reading and the teaching of your word. I pray, Lord, as we look at your word at a very familiar story, that we will look at it intentionally with an understanding that all of this points to the gospel, points to a new beginning in you. Lord, use your word to pierce hearts. Use your word this morning to convict us and challenge us and encourage us. Let it be clear. Let it be memorable. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. The title of this morning's message is A New Beginning. A new beginning. We've looked at the beginning of many things and we've seen kind of how all this story has unfolded. And it's been a little bit dark. Things have begun by our, you know, initial assessment to kind of spiral out of control, it looks like. There's a lot of darkness, a lot of sin. And every week we've seen this glimmer of hope, right? This, this, this perspective that God is holding on tight, that he has control of the reins, that he's not lost control even though man is incredibly wicked, And so when we get to Genesis chapter six, you remember that we looked last week at the culmination of evil on the world. It was a really dark picture of brokenness, but that passage ended at verse number eight with this understanding there was one, and it says Noah there in Genesis chapter six and verse eight, Noah found favor with the Lord. And so there again is this remnant. That God's going to preserve his people. God's going to preserve his purposes through this one individual. And so I want to ask the question this morning, why? Why? Why did God preserve Noah? What was there about Noah that caused God to say, this one, this guy here, him and his family, they're going to be spared. But more importantly than that, we're going to ask an even bigger question. Why did he do this altogether? Why did God allow for there to be a new beginning? Why did God create everything anew once again? And I believe the answer to that is in this perspective of Noah. We see, we saw there in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 that often repeated phrase, and I emphasized it as I read it by faith, by faith, Noah. You see, Noah looked ahead. Noah looked through the, to, through the perspective of God and said, there's a reason for all of this that's taking place. There's a reason, perhaps bigger than who I am, for why God is saving my family. What we're going to see this morning as we walk through three whole chapters of Scripture, we're going to see that this theme controls everything, and it's this truth right here. God makes a new beginning for his glory and our good. God makes a new beginning for his glory and our good. You see, as long as this passage of Scripture is going to be, and it's going to take a little while to work through it, this theme controls everything that we see take place. God is making things new again, but he's doing it for a very particular reason. This is not a character study on the person of Noah, but we are looking through his eyes to see what he might have seen, how he understood God and his ways and ultimately how that points to a new creation in us. And so the first point this morning is this. God makes a new beginning for his glory. God makes a new beginning for his glory. Beginning at verse 9, working all the way through the end of chapter 7, we see God's glory put on plain display. To really understand the context of what's going to happen, we have to rewind a little bit to verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 of this same exact chapter. Let me read that to us once again. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, the creatures that crawl, the birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. We see here that wickedness was pervasive on all of the earth. Mankind was exceedingly wicked, and God had seen this. We see that because of this, God was grieved. God was grieved because of sin. We see this word regret. Now, this is not God somehow saying, wow, I really messed up. It just means that God takes sin very seriously. It breaks God's heart to look upon sin and to see the brokenness in the world at that time. Because he was broken because of this, because he was grieved, God declares judgment in verse 7. He says, I'm going to do everything all over again. I'm going to wipe every living thing off the face of the earth. But then by the time we get to verse 8, we see that he's going to preserve a remnant he's going to spare perhaps this one man and his family we see in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 the seriousness of what we see here just as sin entered the world through one man and death came through sin in this way death spread to all people because all sinned we see that sin is exhaustive on the earth we see that wickedness is widespread But in spite of all of that, we see that God has honed his attention in on this one man and his family. And again, we have to ask, why? I believe there are two very clear reasons why. We see that Noah took God's standards seriously, and therefore we must take God's standards seriously. You see, from verse 9 through verse 22 of chapter 6, we find Noah characterized in a few ways in his following of God described. In verse 9, look at that with me. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. There are three very clear descriptions of who Noah was as a person. We see that he was righteous. This does not mean that Noah always got it right. This does not mean that Noah lived a perfect and sinless life. There was only one, namely Jesus, who lived that perfect and sinless life. Here's what this does mean though. He lived in a right relationship with God. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse seven, it was that righteousness was gained by His faith. And so by his trust in God, he lived righteously. He lived in a right relationship with the Lord. We see also here that he was blameless among his contemporaries. This means that he lived with high integrity. It means when people looked at the life of Noah, they said there's something unique and different and set apart about him. But finally, it culminates with this description of him walking with God. I was amazed last week. We we looked at chapter 5 of Genesis, and it's that long genealogy. And and it was really tough. It was tough sledding last week. I know it was. It was for me. It probably was for you. But we looked at this individual named Enoch for just a moment. And what was characteristic of Enoch's life? He walked with God. No doubt this is the quality about an individual that sets them apart, makes them unique. But then as we get to verse 13, we see what this walking with God really looks like. Look at that with me. Then God said to Noah, just in those few words, there's a profound truth. God spoke to Noah and Noah listened. How profound is that? In the wickedness that was widespread all across the face of the earth, God speaks to this one man and he listens. So let's go back to our initial question then. Why did God save Noah? God saved him because he was the only guy listening to him. He was the only guy who gave credence to what God was saying. He was the only guy who took God seriously. This contrast is hugely important as we look at the application of this passage. Listen carefully, church. We can't afford to be dismissive of God speaking to us. We can't overlook how important it is when God speaks. We have to listen. You say, well, God doesn't audibly speak to me like he did to Noah. He speaks still. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, listen carefully. All Scripture is breathed out by God. and It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, the very Bible that you hold in your hands, is the very Word of God. He still is speaking. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, we read, For the Word is living and it is active It is sharper than any two edged sword. It pierces the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the intentions of the heart. God still speaks, and we must listen. Noah was set apart because he listened to God. God spoke. And Noah listened. Even when no one else is listening, we've got to listen. As you go into your schools, in your workplaces, and even for some of you in your families, it seems like no one else is paying attention to God. As you scroll through your Facebook news feed, it seems like no one else is listening to God. But we, church, are called to listen to God. We do this by honoring God's sovereignty. We honor his sovereignty, church. Don't miss this. We take his standards seriously. And we honor his sovereignty. So after Noah was uniquely distinguished and set apart, the attention of the story turns to his activity and his interaction with God. And God gives him some very specific instructions beginning at verse, at chapter 6 and verse 14 through the end of the chapter. We have to really take note of a key verse at the end of chapter 6. Look at that with me. God gives Noah all these instructions. We get to the end of chapter 6 and it says this. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. He did everything that God commanded him. He took god's word seriously he took god's standards seriously and he honored god's sovereignty why because he took him at his word this phrase appears once again in chapter 7 and verse 5 and chapter 7 and verse 9 so we've already answered the question of why god chose to spare noah but this second question is very important why did god noah choose to listen to god Why did Noah choose to listen to God? We see that Noah knew a few few things about God. Noah knew God to be a God of precision. Look at these instructions in verses 14 through 16. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long. It will be 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof. You are to finish the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. These are very precise instructions. And God gives these instructions to him for a very particular reason. We see then that God tells Noah that he's going to fill this ark with all of these animals and creatures. No doubt, God is so precise that he knew this ark would be just big enough to accommodate all of these individuals and living creatures. God is a God of precision. Look also at the precise timeline that God begins to give regarding this flood. He talks about this in chapter 7 and verse 4. Look at that with me. Seven days from now, I will make it rain on the earth. Forty days from And 40 nights, and every living thing I have made, I will wipe off the face of the earth. God's timeline is precise. He communicates here very clearly. I'm in control of everything that's about to happen. Why? Because I am the sovereign God. So Noah knew God to be a God of precision, but he also knew that God was a God of might. Look at chapter 7 and verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the vast watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were opened. This is a picture of absolute terror and chaos wreaking havoc on the face of the earth. Then we get to verse 17. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. Again, God is precise. His timeline is particular. The water increased and it lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water surged and it increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Then the water, we read this again, it surged. This picture is one again of chaos and destruction. The water is surging. It is growing higher and higher and higher because God is mighty. Noah knew that God was this type of God and so he took him seriously. But lastly, Noah knew God to be a God of completeness. That when God said, I will destroy everything, Noah knew that word to be true. Noah knew that he wasn't gonna somehow squeak by and survive. Notice this picture in verses 21 through 23 of chapter 7, as we come to the end of that chapter, every creature perished. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, the birds, the livestock, the wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils. Everything on dry land died. The picture here is one of exhaustive destruction. God left not one stone unturned. He destroyed everything. So why did God take, or why did Noah take God seriously? He knew that this is who God was. He knew that when God said, I will destroy everything, that indeed God would, it would come true. Listen, church, God is still a God of precision. God is still a God of might. And God is still this God of completeness. Look with me at Matthew chapter 24, very quickly. I was going to just read this to you, but I really want you to see it with me. Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to let pages turn for a second because I really want you to read this with me and see it. Verses 36 through 44. Matthew 24, 36 through 44. We read God's word here and it says this. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood they were eating and they were drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and it swept them all away this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why, You are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You see, the same God that destroyed the earth with a flood is the same God that will come again. The same God that was precise and mighty and complete back in Genesis is the same God that will come again. The same God that said he's coming again. We better take him seriously, church. We better trust him as sovereign. We better take him at his word because he will Come again. And so we have to take God's standards seriously. We've got to listen. We've got to believe that the same God who brought judgment then is the same God who will bring judgment in a day yet to come. And he does this for the sake of his glory. He does this because he has a righteous standard. But that's not the only reason he makes a new beginning, church. The second reason is this. God makes a new beginning for our good, God makes a new beginning for our good. Before we get to chapter eight and verse one, I think we really have to understand the picture at the end of chapter seven. We have to understand what has transpired up until this point. The flood had came. Destruction was obvious. And look at where Noah and his family were. They were on the ark we see. And it says here, the water surged on the earth 150 days. I think this is a detail we've missed when we talk about this in Vacation Bible School. I think we think that this whole thing happens in the blink of an eye. No, for 150 days, Noah and his family have been on this boat floating about. For 150 days, the destruction was obvious and widespread all around them. And then we get to verse 1 of chapter 8, and this wonderful truth becomes clear. God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. When we see this truth, church, we must learn to rest in God's deliverance. We must learn to rest in his deliverance, to know that he's going to come through. God remembering does not somehow imply that God had forgotten about them. This remembrance of God, it communicates the initiation of divine activity. It communicates that God is about to do something wonderful. We see this come up again in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 29. If you're reading the Bible with us this year, you read this just a little while ago. In that passage of scripture, he remembers the peril of Lot and his family and he saves them. We see in Genesis chapter 30 in verse 22 that he remembers the barrenness of Rachel's womb and he fills that womb and she bears a son. In Exodus chapter two in verse 24, God remembers the oppression of the Israelites and he sends Moses as their deliverer. God remembers and therefore he acts. But here's the key about God's remembrance. We are not always made privy to God remembering us. Notice the perspective of verse 1 in chapter 8. Noah has no idea that God has remembered him. We are clued into that detail because we're reading the story, and we take God at his word that God did indeed remember Noah. But here Noah is with his family for 150 days, no doubt wondering, God, what are you going to do? remember the picture he's on a boat with a bunch of animals guys let's just understand this sometimes we over spiritualize scripture and miss the very practical realities of what's happening here this was a stinky hot wet mess that he was in this was not a pleasant experience no doubt if you're noah for 150 days you're thinking okay lord that's enough everything's gone everything's destroyed i've had enough my family's had enough i'm about to throw one of them overboard okay Listen, I couldn't imagine being stuck on there with that many kids. Let's just make that plain and clear, okay? This is where Noah's at. And we get the truth that God remembered Noah, but Noah has no idea that God remembered him. So we get to verse 3 of chapter 8, and notice what begins to happen. The water steadily receded from the earth, And by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. So, again, 150 days he's on the boat with his family. God remembers him, but God is not always as quick as we want him to be. And so for 150 more days, the water begins to recede. It's not a good picture. This is not a picture of hope. So after this, we find this episode of Noah and him sending out these birds in verses 5 through 14. Again, let's look at this picture practically for a second. You are Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his sons. And and you've been on this boat a long time with dad. And you see dad out, out there with some birds, and he's sending them off the side of the ship. Listen, I think that's crazy at this point. This is a bizarre picture taking place. But what this communicates about Noah is that he was patient. We see in those few verses twice where it says, Noah waited, Noah waited, Noah trusted, Noah knew in spite of not understanding this reality yet that God had remembered, Noah knew and trusted in God's deliverance that God would come through. Church, even in the waiting, even when it seems like God has forgotten about you, listen carefully, God has never forgotten about you. I don't know what you're waiting for this morning, what period of transition you might be in in your life. Sometimes you wonder, what in the world is God up to? What is he doing? Rest assured, God has never forgotten you. We rest in his deliverance. But secondly, we trust in God's promise. We trust in God's promise. Let's read chapter 8, verses 15 through 19. I want you to see the real picture of what Noah and his family see. Then God spoke to Noah, we read, come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, the livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the whole earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, they came out All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth, it came out of the ark by their families. God speaks to Noah once again. Keep in mind, this whole episode in the ark, we don't have a picture of God speaking to Noah anymore. After God gives instructions to him and tells him to build this boat, it seems like God is silent this entire time. And then God calls him out and says, it's safe. Come on out with your family. Now, here's the Sunday school picture we get. The Sunday school picture is Noah and his family and all these animals come out. There's this big rainbow, right? It's a beautiful picture to color in Sunday school. There's all this green grass everywhere. Everything's beautiful once again. But church, that's not the truth of what we're looking at here. Remember back in chapter 7, this was widespread death and destruction. Everything that was living had perished. Every plant, every creeping thing, everything had died. And so if you're Noah and his family, you've survived. But imagine what you walk out and see. Destruction. Death. Seeming like it's hopeless. Surrounded, though, by death and decay and destruction, Noah pledges his life to the Lord. Look at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. When Noah builds this altar, he then offers a sacrifice. It says he took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. This sacrifice was one of dedication. Church, before God had ever made any promises that he would never do this again, Noah pledges his life to the Lord. We want to get caught up in this promise that we see as we get into chapter 9. When God says, I- I'm never going to do this again, I'm never going to destroy every living thing again. But before that promise is ever uttered out of the mouth of God, Noah says, I'm yours. My family, we are yours. God, even though we've seen your terror and your destruction, you've saved us and we belong to you. Before God's promise was ever given, they trusted him. I had to sit under my own preaching for a little while at this point. If you're like me, you might be inclined towards pessimism. You're a glass half empty kind of person. You always look at the bleak side of things and you very rarely hope for the best. And God says here very clearly in his word, before anything good has come about, that we are to give our lives to him. No matter what bleak reality is in your life, no matter what challenge you're walking through, Pledge your life to God. Your obedience to him does not, and it should not be dependent on him doing anything more for you. Noah knew this. So finally we see that we must thrive in God's blessing. We must thrive in God's blessing. We see this in these these first 17 verses of chapter 9. In response to all of this, God blesses Noah and his sons. Look at that with me. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. A few things about this blessing I want you to hold on to. First of all, understand this blessing is unconditional. It's unconditional. It's not dependent on anything that Noah is going to do. It's unconditional. Look back at chapter 8 and verse 21. There's this subtle reality that we understand about the world here. We read, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings. Even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. Even though God had destroyed everything and started again. Wickedness, evil, and sin was still a reality. But God says here, I'm gonna bless you. I commission you. And this blessing is not dependent upon you doing it always right. It's not dependent on you always coming through. It's not dependent on you living righteously. But most importantly, see this about this blessing. This blessing is for a greater purpose. It's for a greater purpose. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply in verse 1, and then in verse 7, he repeats this again. If you followed along with us, where was the first time that God said those words? In the garden. He told them to be fruitful and to multiply and scatter and fill the earth. Why? Why is God so insistent on them reproducing? Why is God so insistent upon them thriving? If, I, if you were like me, you probably at this point wanted to just go back in the ark and hang out. You're looking around at all this destruction and you're saying, Lord, really? You want me to thrive in this? You want me to carry out your blessing and be obedient to you in this? Sure, you've spared my life, but can I just live the rest of my days and just, you just leave me alone? God tells him to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Remember in Luke chapter 3. This is a broken record, I know. We've looked at this every week, I feel like. So we don't have to turn over there again. There's that big list of names. Remember this? We've looked at name after name after name in the Genesis narrative. that comes up again there. Always in the line of Christ. Always pointing towards Jesus coming. The reason God begins again for his glory And our good is so that Jesus would come. The reason Noah had to be obedient to this command is so Jesus would come. This blessing required Noah's response. And it also requires our response. As we conclude this morning, Christian, listen carefully. God's same purpose then is still God's purpose now. God tells them to fill the earth with those created in his image. In the same exact way, God tells us to continue to fill the earth, but with what? Disciples. People who are following Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, he tells us to go into all the earth for what purpose? For the purpose of bringing about new creation in the lives of of those who do not know him. He tells us to preach and to teach and to baptize them. Why? For the purpose of a new creation. God wants us to live in obedience to this command. God blesses us. He tells us to be fruitful, to multiply, and to make disciples. But unbeliever, listen very close. Noah was saved because he chose to listen. Perhaps for the first time, you're listening this morning. Whether you're in this room or you're online at this moment or watching later, you're listening right now for the first time. Look at chapter 9 in verses 12 through 17. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth." Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember, there's that word again, my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it, and there the word is again, I will remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and every creature on the earth. God said, when I see this sign in the clouds, when I look at this, I remember. And why does God remember? God remembers so that he will deliver. God remembers so that he will save. God remembers so that he will bring you into right relationship with him. This requires your response. This requires you to follow in obedience to Christ we are given Christ as this act of deliverance now we are given Christ as this picture of reconciliation and salvation and covenant it is through Christ that this same relationship of that Noah had walking with God is possible for you and for me so i ask you are you listening to God have you listened today God's word is worthy of our listening when God speaks even when no one else is listening God commands that we listen if you're a Christian today and you are not being obedient to the call of God on your life you need to listen today but if you're not a believer And God has called you into relationship with himself. And God has promised you a new beginning today. It is for his glory and your good. And so I invite you to respond in obedience to that invitation.